Hey there, welcome back to Crypto Clarified, Investing in the Truth. This is a podcast series where we come together to discuss the most captivating headlines and trends from the crypto space. My name's Benjamin Dean, and I'm director in WisdomTree's digital asset team. Today, I'm joined by one of my colleagues, Mir Vantia, director of digital asset research at WisdomTree. It's going to be a great show. Uh, but before we get into it, we've got to do social media shout outs. You can always find me on the Bird app at Benjamin Dean. If you are in the US and you're a listener, go to wisdomtreeprime.com, join the waitlist, you won't be disappointed. And for all of you out there, make your lives so much easier. You just hit subscribe on whatever app you're using right now, subscribe to Crypto Clarified, and then we'll arrive in your application whenever new episodes go live. On today's show, we're going to be talking with Mirva about the Ethereum Chappella update. Everything seems to have gone smoothly. It's been a bit over a week now. Uh, so investors might be sitting there and asking themselves what they should keep their eye on going forward. Uh, so we're going to totally unpack that today. It's going to be a super interesting episode. Uh, and as always, we'll finish at the end thinking a little bit about the future because we love the future here almost as much as we love clarifying crypto. Before we start, though, I have to do my usual shout out to James and Sam in compliance. Before I begin, I need to state the following. To clarify the views and opinions expressed in this podcast of those of wisdom tree and are subject to change, anything we present in this podcast is not intended to be relied upon as forecast, research, nor as investment or tax advice. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast are not a recommendation, offer a solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Reliance upon them is at the sole discretion of the listener. Please remember, past performance is no indication of future results. Mirva, we're onto the fun stuff now. Thank you so much for coming and joining me today. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good to be with you, Ben. Excellent. Well, I have the pleasure of getting to work with you from day to day. Uh, so I know about all the kind of interesting things that you get to work on, but it's the first time we're having you on with the listeners. So to, to kick things off, how about you give them a quick idea about your role as director in the digital assets research the topics you get to cover and what's kind of uh, taking up most of your, your daytime. Yes, yeah, so I cover the um, whole of digital asset space. Um, so obviously we have the large assets, uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum, but we also have a multitude of other blockchains that we cover uh, at Wisdom Tree. Um, and we have different types of products that um, we create. So I'm really doing uh, research on all of those areas and um, obviously looking at it more from the financial point of view. My background is in portfolio management and uh, tech, tech uh, growth, equity investing and alternatives investing. So that's the kind of angle I uh, come into the space. Very interesting and a unique perspective here that I'm sure the listeners will uh, enjoy a lot. The, I know one topic that's been keeping you very busy lately uh, is the, the Ethereum so-called Chappella upgrade. It has gotten a lot of press, maybe not as much as the, the update back in September, and it's made some changes to the investment case for, for Ether. Uh, what, what are some of those changes? Yeah, so um, long term, um, I mean, we think that this upgrade is very positive uh, for the assets. Um, basically, the merge, which took place last year at the end of mid-September, it created a yielding asset. Um, and now you can unstake, you can withdraw your stake ether and the rewards that have accumulated um, in the past or whenever since you really staked uh, on the asset. 
and um, the imports. And we think that this is really important because this creates a benchmark yield uh, for the whole digital asset space. And the reason we think that it's important that it's Ethereum is that if we compare Ethereum to the other layer ones, uh, there is really no comparison in terms of uh, market cap at the moment. So the next largest uh, layer one, um, of course, outside of Bitcoin is Cardano, which has about 1% market share. Ethereum has 19% market share of the uh, market capitalization of the space. And Bitcoin, of course, then is 44%, but it's not a smart contract platform. So um, this is the reason why we think it's really a benchmark yield against which um, all the other all the other uh, layer one blockchain yields can be measured against. Got it. Yeah, indeed, the Ethereum network is at scale, and it's always so positive to see these uh, upgrades. In this case, quite a major upgrade goes smoothly because it, it's difficult to do that with live software. I've, I've seen this word Chappella. It's kind of an awkward word being uh, thrown about, but I've also seen the word Shanghai being thrown around to describe this. Like, what, what's what's in a name? What's the deal? Yeah, so um, so blockchains are really layers um, of, of different functionality. And when you have a Shanghai upgrade, that really means that you're making an upgrade on the execution layer of the Ethereum network. And then you have, um, oh, that's sort of an environment where you deal with the applications and the smart contracts. And then you have a Capella upgrade, which is a software that's made on the consensus layer uh, of the Ethereum network. And that sort of enforces the protocol rules. And uh, so when you combine Capella and Shanghai, you get Chappella. Um, and in fact, um, what's um, what's very typical here is that with Shanghai, you have already had about 15 upgrades. And with the Capella, uh, the newer consensus layer, you've had three upgrades. So uh, what it really shows is that Ethereum keeps evolving constantly. Yeah, and really quite complicated changes as well. I, I also read somewhere that the, the reason they pull these names out, it's not random. It's because like the last Ethereum Dev Connect was in Shanghai. And then they named the, the, the next changes around stars, so Capella. And that's how you really know that <laughs> at least people have got a sense of humor on the back end, even if they are making uh, really serious technical changes. In terms of like the most consequence, consequential change uh, from this upgrade, though, it has something to do with staking. Do you, do you want to explain that to the listeners? Yeah, sure. So, um, so if we just go uh, briefly back to the merge. So, what happened in the merge uh, last September is that Ethereum moved from proof of work consensus mechanism to proof of stake. So, this means that the way the transactions are verified uh, in the network was changed to proof of stake consensus mechanism. So, instead of having computers uh, racing to solve complex mathematical problems like you do with proof of work, you have a proof of stake network where the owners of Ether can stake their ETH and participate in the validation of the transactions and securing the network. So this was what, what took place with the merge. And so at the time you were able to stake your Ether in the network, but you, would, you were not able to withdraw your staked coins or tokens, Ether coins, and also you were not able to withdraw the 
new ether that you accumulated as a reward from participating in this network validation. So this is what happened with this um, April 12th uh, event, uh, Chapella event. And now you can withdraw both your uh, uh, staked ether if you want. That's called a full uh, withdrawal or only a partial withdrawal, which means that you can withdraw those accumulated rewards that, um, uh, that, that sort of belong to you. It's the end of the Hotel California line that I could never get journalists to pick up. I used to describe it as Hotel California, and for whatever reason, they just didn't want to say that. But now it's yeah, gone. It's exp- I guess it wasn't a very good line to begin with. Otherwise, they would have picked it up. But uh, what's interesting as well is, as you say, you can now withdraw your staked Ether and your, your rewards. What kind of rewards are people looking at? I mean, what is the staking yield at the moment, and how was it set? Yes, yeah, so um, at the moment we're seeing sort of yields approximately four to five percent. Uh, so that will depend on the number of validators who participate in the um, securing of the network and validating the transactions. So the more more um, validators you have, the uh, the lower the yield would be. But it's not as simple uh, because you also have these new types of technologies such such as Maximum extractable, va- maximum extractable value MEV, which can increase the yield. Uh, means basically outsourcing the block, block production to third parties. And also, what has been um, in the what has been very low in the past uh, year and a half when we've been in the crypto winter is really the transaction amount that the transaction amounts so or the applications that are using Ethereum. So that transaction portion of the yield, uh, the transaction fee has been quite low. So typically, for example, when you buy an NFT uh, and and, uh, participate in the Ethereum network, in this case, if the NFT is built on the Ethereum network, you have to pay a fee for the right to use the network. So that's the transaction or gas fee. And a proportion of that goes to the validators of the network. So it's not singular, uh, but uh, in fact, what we are... um, what we're seeing is that many many people expect that this yield longer term would could be even higher than that four to five percent that we're seeing at the moment. It's great clarification there because indeed it is one of these things that people might just coast over. They'll just quickly check what the number is, and some of them might be curious enough to ask why. It's not a simple answer as you've just amply demonstrated. There's another interesting kind of investment case related dimension here, and it's around the supply of ether which uh, is a function of the amount of transaction fees being uh, paid. So what, what is going on with the supply of Ether in general, setting aside the staking yield? And uh, how would that also in, influence the investment case potentially? Yes, yeah, so um, um, there is um, a part of uh, Ethereum, which is kind of Ethereum improvement proposal. I believe it was 1559 which was implemented in August 2021. Um, And that introduced uh, so-called burning to the Ethereum network. And it basically means that some ETH in circulation will be permanently removed from the token supply. And this has actually been going on um, since August 2021. And what we saw at the end of last year was that the Ethereum supply actually was deflationary. So we had less new ETH being issued than the amount that was being burned. 
Um, so now when most likely in the future, we will have more transactions in the network um, and therefore the transaction fee amount will go up. It's likely that at least on the shorter term, uh, Ethereum supply will increase slightly, um, but we certainly don't expect it to go to that annual four to five percent increase that it was with the proof of work uh, network. So that was the big change when we moved from proof of work to proof of stake. So that significantly reduced the annual supply of new ether. And right now it's been deflationary. We think that shorter term, it might be sort of around break even or even slightly increase. But longer term, we think that uh, uh, Ethereum will have a sort of deflationary supply, which means that given if, if all things uh, remains equal, you should have a pressure for uh, a price increase, um, sort of uh, Ethereum price going up uh, long term. We had a guest on recently who described these things as a, uh, economic experiments. And as you say, ceteris paribus, all things being equal, you would expect to see a supply crunch and uh, that should drive the price up. But there's another kind of element there, uh, and it's one that might come up around liquidity. So we've now got this unstaking ability in place. We've got this deflationary Ethereum supply. Uh, how do you think these kinds of things, you've just said how it would influence the price, but thinking about liquidity, what, what might we need to keep an eye on there? both on the good side or the bad side? Sure. Yeah, so um, when just before this unstaking event took place, uh, so on April 12th, um, we had approximately 119, 120 million ETH in total supply. And approximately 15% of that was staked, um, which is so sort of about 18 to 19 million ETH was deposited on the beacon, beacon chain. And that probably, that, that included the 1.1 million accumulated uh, ether rewards um, that the stakers had accumulated over the time that they had staked the ether. Um, so what we are likely going to see is that um, uh, the, on the liquidity side, it won't have a significant impact on the supply of ETH because we think that uh, of those who had staked, maybe over 60% already had liquidity because they had staked with either, with either Lido Finance or Coinbase or Binance. And all of those three uh, stakers or validators, they had provided so-called staked ETH tokens uh, which you have been able to use as collateral if you wanted to use DeFi, for example. So those uh, validators already had liquidity. And then you have the other group uh, of validators who staked their ETH uh, most likely in 2021 and 22 uh, with a much higher price than where we are today. So we actually estimate that about half of the ETH stakers are still underwater. So um, they, if they exited right now, they wouldn't exit at a profit. So we don't actually think that all of those will exit either. So in, in general, we think that it, the exit process won't have a significant long-term uh, downside pressure on the price of Ether for these, these reasons. Yeah. 
Thanks for that, because um, we haven't gone through with the listeners about these liquid staking derivative tokens in the past, uh, which may be a topic for a future episode as we now see how this plays out. But indeed, it was, you know, maybe 15 to 16% of Ether was staked. We've got now a queue of people unstaking, but then an, an equal queue of people trying to stake. I, I wonder down the line if you end up getting to something like 60, 70% of Ether staked, locked up. If you start like amplifying the supply crunch in the face of the deflationary uh, emission schedule, it remains to be seen. But th there is an important piece there that is worth us explaining in, in this episode because uh, the Chappella upgrade has kind of brought this this question to the fore, and it is around the the queue to stake and unstake. Now, uh, we can go. You, you'll be able to explain like why there is a throttle or like limits the amount of folks who can stake and unstake. Uh, do you want to explain that in, in some detail and what we've seen occur in the last week or so and what we're likely to see going forward in terms of this staking, unstaking dynamic? Yes, sure. Yes. So, um, so really it's important to limit the number of exits to maintain the security of the network. So that's why it's coded into the Ethereum network that only a certain amount of validators can exit per day. So you have two types of exits. You have so-called partial exits, which include those validators who basically just want to sell their rewards that they have accumulated over the time that they've been staking their Ether. Um, so that's the 1.1 million uh, that I just mentioned. Um, and if we think that Ether typically has a daily volume of about 13 billion. So that shows that if, if the Ether price today is about 2000 US dollars, this would not have a significant impact on the price. And then you have a, another type of exit, which is the full exit, uh, where you exit both the accumulated uh, rewards and also the uh, 32 ETH that you have staked. So that's a called sort of full exit. Uh, so that's the you exit also the underlying principle um, that uh, you've had in the network. And this is handled by a staged process really to maintain the security of the network and also to eliminate any kind of sort of malicious actor to suddenly having uh, an unusually high proportion of the validation process. And um, uh, I believe that the network is programmed in a way where it only uh, allows about uh, seven to eight validators per epoch, which is 6.4 minutes. And that sort of translates into a maximum number of validators uh, of 1,575 validators can exit per day. And if we think that there are over 562,000 validators, uh, so um, we, we can see that uh, this kind of amount on a daily basis is unlikely to to stabilize the network, but it also what what it also means is that this will probably take weeks, uh, if not not a few months, to fully go through. And um, what we've actually seen so far is that in the first in the beginning, most of the uh, rewards were or most of the withdrawals were rewards withdrawals, and they were about uh, ninety five percent of the total withdrawals. Um, but what's interesting is that actually today uh, we're seeing a meaningful amount of uh, principal withdrawals as well. So this is something that obviously will keep changing 
but I think it was yesterday when I looked at uh, the numbers and the uh, exit time for partial withdrawals was about four days. But if you wanted to get your ether back as well, the principal, that would that uh, would take 17 days. So that obviously will de change uh, dependent on how many validators want to exit um, and how many are waiting in the queue. What we do know is that on the exit side, we definitely have Kraken, um, which was sued by the SEC um, for providing a staking as a service product. And they are now, they've agreed to stop offering their staking as a service product. So they need to liquidate their um, ETH. Uh, we've also seen Celsius and some other uh, crypto lenders, which went bankrupt last year. So they need to liquidate their positions. And we've also learned that some uh, actually Lido Finance, which is um, a sort of liquid pool provider, um, they've said that they, due to some code audit, they cannot process a lot of the transactions until early May. And that's significant because Lido Finance is about a third uh, of all validations. So these are just to uh, sort of highlight the fact that it will it won't be over in a week or so. So we're likely to see more volatility in the price and sort of uh, fluctuation in the price for, for some weeks, perhaps a few months to come. It's a really great example of trade-offs uh, in this space. Like you've just touched on so many of them. One of them is the security trade-off. It'd be nice if everyone can make their assets liquid, but that exposes the network to potential takeover attacks. Uh, you've got the decentralization question there. Uh, you don't want a situation where someone can go and buy 20 to 30% of the, the stake and thereby attack the network. Uh, you've got uh, the, the going in and going out dynamic. So we'll be able to see now in, in close to real time the demand for staking. Uh, and then we'll be also able to see across the horizon those who are liquidating this, their, their ether potentially to sell it uh, for something else. It's a nice metric we get there and it also demonstrates how the transparency of these networks, if you know what data to look at and how to interpret it, can give you really uh, deep insights as to the behavior of this, what is essentially emergent behavior in a network. Uh, it's super, super interesting. But as you said at the end, you know, some of these big entities uh, have been unstaking. The, the queue for now full withdrawals is like two weeks. Uh, we'll see how that plays out over time. I imagine we'll get back to a steady state uh, with kind of a punctuated equilibrium as you have big actors enter and exit and all the crazy things that happen in this space play out. But super, super interesting. Um, I know we're coming up on time relatively soon. Uh, there was one last element here. Um, and again, it's a trade-off. Uh, in the past, the Ethereum network has had relatively high fees per transaction, as you mentioned before in the NFT context. And the trade-off there essentially is the blocks only have so much space. So you've got to have people bidding essentially uh, for space on blocks and they express that in the transaction fee. Now, does this Chappella upgrade uh, do anything to change or influence the transaction fees or network congestion that the Ethereum network used to experience uh, but could experience going forward if changes aren't made? Yeah, no, actually. So this is really just about the unstaking uh, of those uh, ETH, uh, ETH and, 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 and accumulated rewards. So we will have another um, sort of dank sharding type of an upgrade that is up and coming. 
and that will address some of those capacity issues going forward. Yeah, dank sharding. You've got to love the, the naming conventions with this stuff. It at least keeps you mildly entertained. The uh, Absolutely. So there are future uh, upgrades on the roadmap. In this case, you know the other interesting one, I think, um, the, the layer two solutions for scaling now are starting to get pretty broad adoption. It'll be interesting to see if that like undermines certain elements, right? because if indeed your staking reward is partially paid out in transaction fees and the transaction fees being paid are going down, then that might reduce the incentive to stake or take part in general. It's uncertain, but I mean, it certainly keeps us busy as we uh, try and pick through the many different variables and developments with this kind of technology. As I said, we're coming up on time. Usually we like to finish these episodes up by thinking a bit about the future. Uh, what's got your attention right now? I know you're looking a lot at Ethereum, so it can be Ethereum related, but also just more generally in the space right now. It's, it's been a turbulent month as always. What's got your attention and why? Yeah, so I'm really looking at a couple of different things. I mean, one is the, you already mentioned the layer two networks, because I think what Ethereum has actually done is that they've kind of, they're moving away from the sharding as a capacity increase, but moving into using uh, these layer two networks as a, as a kind of capacity increase functionality at the moment, because the layer twos have actually come on much faster than anticipated. And what I hear now is that um, uh, that um, because the most expensive function of using the layer two networks is the moving information back from the layer two to layer one, that Ethereum developers are actually thinking of increasing the temporary data storage on the Ethereum and allowing the layer two uh, network providers to use that and so both of them would actually benefit. You have the layer two networks, which can, which can then uh, uh, use Ethereum layer one to improve or kind of it, it's robust and secure. They can benefit from that. And then Ethereum can, can benefit from the fact that you have a layer two network, which typically what they do is that they move a bunch of transactions off chain and then they combine these number of uh, transactions to a one transaction which is then secured on the Ethereum network. And so uh, the, the throughput is much higher. The costs for the user are much lower. And so I think this is something that I'm very much looking at right now. So you have the ZK rollups and uh, optimistic rollups um, that Ethereum is sort of uh, developing to the, together with the layer two providers. And the other thing, of course, I can't not mention is the regulatory landscape in the US. And uh, so you have the SEC and CFTC there and, um, you know, how they define uh, Ethereum, particularly uh, the uh, chairman of the SEC has mentioned that he think uh, Ethereum um, is, a, is a security and CFTC has mentioned that they think Bitcoin, Ethereum and Litecoin are uh, commodities. So this is something very interesting to uh, follow. Uh, and, and, and what happens there. And I think it will also have some implications for Ethereum because it's a global market. Digital assets is a global market. Uh, so uh, that's another thing that I'm uh, monitoring actively. Yeah, it is the question of the week. Is Ether a, a, a security or not? But uh, look, it's been great to have you on, Mirva. Next time we're going to have to talk either layer twos, CK rollups and uh, Optimus. 
optimistic roll-ups, or we're going to have to do it should be a thrilling uh, exhibition <laughs> of whether uh, what is and isn't a security. But in the meantime, as I said, it's been an absolute pleasure. Do you have any final uh, last words for the, the listeners? Um, not really. I think it's just that the space is developing really, really rapidly. Um, it, it's moving all the time. So I would, I would, we we think that at this particular point of time, we might be uh, on the verge of the fourth bull market, uh, which will be driven by really by these layer two solutions by wallets, which is another really interesting area, developments and innovations in the wallet space. Um, and also the applications, the sort of decentralized applications that are now being developed for gaming, NFTs, et cetera. So that's perhaps something for future episodes. If people want to keep an eye on, on the different publications you put out, where can they find it on the interwebs? Yes, yeah, so on the Wisdom, D, Wisdom Tree Europe website, um, or I'm also trying to post most of it on my LinkedIn. Excellent. Great. Well, with that, we're out of time. I hope listeners found today's podcast useful and informative. If you're in the US, join Wisdom Tree Prime's waitlist at wisdomtreeprime.com. You can find me at Benjamin Dean on the Bird app. And as a reminder, if you'd like us to cover any specific topics in a future episode or to find out more information, please email cryptoclarified at wisdomtree.com. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have an excellent day.